hey, I'm Grace and I'm the host of this podcast, She Builds Me Up. She is my neighbor, my friend, my sister, my mentor, and my inspiration. She's the everyday woman that surrounds me all the time. We laugh together, we cry together, and we love together. I value her because of the amazing gifts she shares with me. Come and join my tribe and let's build something amazing together. This is where we uplift one another, we let our guards down, we invest fully in one another, and we become stronger by doing so. Together, we are going to get into the nitty-gritty of this weird world of adult friendships. We're going to combat our challenges and have fun while doing it. Okay, so it is episode 20. I have finally reached my goal for 2020, which is exciting. Um, But don't worry, this is like not the last episode or anything. I'm going to keep going. But I'm just proud of myself that I got to 20. And it's also raining outside, so hopefully... That doesn't ruin the recording, but we'll see. Anyway, I have my friend Sarah Peterson on the phone. Sarah, if you want to say hi. Hi. Um, Sarah lives in Brooklyn, and you've lived there for how long now? We've lived in Brooklyn for almost eight years. Wow, really? That long? Yes, isn't that crazy? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I know. Oh, wow. Lily was turning one, and she's turning nine. Wow, that is crazy. Um, Sarah and I... Sarah is my longest friend, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, I told my girls we've known each other since nursery. Like, we've been we have. forever. We have. We have. We went to preschool together, and yep. our moms were friends back in the day. We Sarah obviously grew up in St. Louis, just like I did. Um, and we've just t- kept in touch all these years. We were very close in middle school, elementary school, high school, college. And then you moved to California. So, mm-hmm. and now Brooklyn. And then I've, I have visited you a couple of times in New York City. So, yeah, it's been fun. fun. Um, so, yeah, we, that's how we met. I guess that's all there is to that. Um, if you want to just tell us a little bit about your family situation now. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, I'm a stay-at-home mom right now to Lily, who's eight, and Claire, who's five. Um, I also work part-time writing uh, psychosocial reports for a forensic psychologist. And um, to, so to talk a little bit about my story, this is probably the most difficult experience I've ever had in my life so far. But um, I feel like it's important to share these difficult moments because I feel like it's important to be vulnerable and open ourselves up to other people and feel emotion and connect with others. So, Mm -hmm. so yes, um, six years ago, Lily was almost two years old and I was pregnant with identical twin girls. Pregnancy was going well as well as possible. I mean, I was extremely nauseous. I was on two nausea medications just to make it through the day. Mm -hmm. But other than that, everything was fine and going smoothly. But on the morning of July 10th, 2014, I went into preterm labor. I didn't know I was in labor. I was feeling some pain, and I thought maybe this twin pregnancy is just finally hitting me. People had warned me, oh, twin pregnancy, you're going to feel it. It's going to slow you down. And so I thought, maybe this twin pregnancy is just finally hitting me. But I don't know, I just kind of felt like I should go to the hospital and just make sure things are okay. 
Mm-hmm. Um, things were things were not okay. Uh, Fifteen minutes after I got to the hospital, both of the babies had been born. Um, the first baby, who we named Claire, was rushed to the NICU without me seeing her or knowing if she had survived or anything. And um, the second baby born was a little bit smaller than Claire. She was one pound, four ounces at birth, and she was too small for a breathing tube. So uh, the doctors told me that she was too small to survive. Um, <clears throat> at the time, but my husband was out of the room. He was getting scrubs on, and uh, the doctors thought they were going to have to perform an emergency C-section. So it was just me in the room. Mm. with all these doctors and people I had never met before that moment. And I just remember feeling like I had never been so alone in my life. In the most critical moment of my life, I was alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know where Brett was at that time. I didn't know he was getting scrubbed on. I didn't know anything. I didn't know what happened to the first baby. All I knew is that the baby that I was holding wasn't going to survive. So finally, Brett was able to come into the room and hold her too, and she lived about an hour. They moved us to a recovery room after that where we could just hold on to her and hold on to each other for a while. And we just, we just cried. We didn't know what happened. You know, like, it happened so quickly, and we didn't really have time to process. Mm-hmm. But we wanted to name her, and we kind of went through our list, our short list of, like, names that we liked for girls, but none of them felt like they were the right fit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I said to Brett, like, this is an unusual situation. What do you feel about a name like Faith or Hope or, you know, something like that? And as soon as I said Hope, we both felt like that was the right name for her. Mm-hmm. And, <clears throat> yeah, it was, it was just, I guess, what we needed the most at the time. Like, we just, we needed the hope that we'd see her again someday and that our family could be together again. Yeah. And we needed hope that we would be able to move forward with this new life and that Claire would be okay or that we would be okay with whatever life Claire might have, you know, mm-hmm. at that time. So, so that's a little bit about my story and the most difficult moment of my life. <laughs> so, you were holding hope in your arms knowing mm-hmm. she was going to pass at what point did you know what was happening with claire it wasn't until hours later really when um yeah so we were in that recovery room and we were holding her at hope and we were called our parents and we had told everybody what happened and lily was at a friend's house and obviously i couldn't leave the hospital so we had to ask if she could spend the night and make all these plans that we hadn't expected to make. I, I didn't plan, I didn't pack a hospital bag, you know, I didn't, yeah. I didn't the worst case scenario mm-hmm. that I could think of is they're going to say you're on bed rest. Yeah. Like, I couldn't think of anything worse at that time because they were scheduled to move later that week and, you know, everything just happens at once. So mm-hmm. that was the worst case scenario I could think of. But yeah. So, yeah, it wasn't until hours later. I think that we got to see Claire Let's think. They were both born. Everything was done by like four o'clock in the afternoon, and I don't think we saw Claire until about eleven thirty that night. Really? But did you know she was yeah. alive, or did you know anything? I didn't know anything wow. until like they finally like right at eleven. They came down and they said, "Okay, baby, twin A, baby A, is in critical condition, but she's stable." 
and you can steer if you want. Like, of course I want to steer. So we went up, and I think it was around 11.30 because I think we have a picture of her scheduled around that time. Mm-hmm. So um, I remember when I saw Claire, I thought, oh my gosh, she looks exactly like Hope. Mm. Like she looked a tiny bit bigger because Claire was one pound seven ounces. Mm-hmm. Um, but she looked exactly like Hope. Well, they were identical, weren't they? Yeah, they were identical. And I found out that identical twins just happened by chance. It's not like fraternal twins. I don't know. I, I never thought I could have twins. It was the biggest shock that I was pregnant with twins. But Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember when I came to visit you in Brooklyn for the first time Mm -hmm. you had just found out that you were having twins i think yeah and i was like oh my gosh i was pregnant i don't know if i knew they were twins yeah that's true i I think you were just pregnant i think you're right you didn't know they were twins yet but anyway yeah but no it's just i'm so glad that you were willing to come on and talk about the loss of hope because i think like you said earlier sharing traumatizing hurtful stories sometimes can give hope to others and just or just solidarity I guess is the word yeah um mm-hmm. and so um for those listening uh Sarah and I have just decided that we were kind of just going to take this conversation where it's going to go and what we can glean from this story in Sarah's life because she's learned so much and even just now as you were telling this story like I'm sitting here getting teary and I'm just like man am I ready to have this conversation <laughs> Um, it's a heavy conversation. It is, but it just brings back the time when you first told me about it. I remember I was driving. I don't know where I was. I was driving. And I was sitting out. I was teaching piano lessons. So I was sitting outside the house of whoever I was about to teach, just crying because you had told me this horrible thing that had happened to you. And yeah. Anyway, um, I'm just grateful that you're willing to talk about it. So as we dive in a little further with this. Let's just first talk about the reality of you just lost a baby, literally was alive in your arms for an hour, and then you have a newborn who's in the ICU less than two pounds big. Like, how did you, what was the grieving process like? Like, what did that look like for you? Um, it It was all the emotions at once. Like, there was this cautious, very cautious optimism that Claire had survived and what would that what would her life be like you know and when we were worried you know 24 weekers they they have like a 50 50 chance of survival which is what ended up being true in our situation mm-hmm. and uh, a 10 percent chance of living a completely quote normal life mm-hmm. so there's a really high chance that we would have um a different life than we had prepared for or expected when mm-hmm. we initially tried to get pregnant. So there's all of that, like, cautious optimism, like, maybe everything will be okay, but I don't know, and she survived another day, so that's good news, and, mm-hmm. you know, every day that she's alive is a day to be celebrated, and, and we felt, you know, that that joy that she survived another day, and mm-hmm. we got to see her again another day, and we'll just, you know, see how it goes from here. But at the same time, like, that grief of losing a child, like, unless you've experienced it, you don't really understand how hard it is. Yeah. And, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a back and forth thing, and, and there are some days when, um, when I feel more at peace with it, and there are other days when I'm like, 
sobbing in the shower. <laughs> and I'm like, it's so hard. It's yeah. so hard. Yeah. And I don't know, like, I'm a reflective person and I kind of go over my life experiences a lot. And mm-hmm. during this grieving process, I started asking myself, like, a lot of questions, like, why did this happen to me? Yeah. And why didn't the doctor detect anything out of the ordinary? I had a doctor's appointment two days before the babies were born. Yeah. So, like, I feel like, you know, why didn't why didn't the doctor notice anything? If there was some kind of, like, signal that I should have picked up on, you know? Mm-hmm. Or, or, like, the day before they were born, I had um, an appointment with the ultrasound technician. And nothing, you know, was, was out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. And I also, like, I wondered, like, why would God give me a twin pregnancy and then take one child away, and yeah. then have Claire in the NICU for three and a half months, you know, like, it's, yeah. it's just a lot, yeah. and if I was just going to end up with one baby, like, why not just give me a singleton pregnancy, like, why make me go through this whole thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it just, like, would continue from there, you know, I'd be like, did I do something wrong to deserve this pain? Mm-hmm. You know, the guilt that I felt was, like, it was sometimes overwhelming, like, yeah. constantly going over this and feeling like, should I have picked up on something? Was there something I could have done differently? You know, what if I had gotten to the hospital earlier? Or what if my doctor could have predicted this? Or what if the babies could have stayed in like one more week or mm-hmm. one more day? Would it made, would it have made a difference to hope, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know, but I would like torture myself with these questions and, and just feel that pain. And, and part of me felt like that pain was the only thing I had left of little hope so in so many ways I refused to let that pain go because I felt like I deserved it I felt like I had failed as a mother (laughs) and so that pain was was part of my price yeah you know yeah so yeah it's still hard um I know it's still hard and but as just through talking with you about this, we've kind of talked about that you've come up with some coping mechanisms that you've kind of realized have been helpful, even though it still hurts and it's still hard. So can you speak to the coping mechanisms? Yes, definitely. So immediately after this happened, and Brett and I were talking through it and trying to process it through our many tears, we immediately started noticing the little blessings and miracles that happened along the way. Like, mm-hmm. for example, when I was in labor and I needed to go to the hospital, a friend came to my apartment to get Lily, and that saved me minutes, precious minutes. I was going to walk Lily to her house, but mm-hmm. how slow I was and how I was feeling, it would have taken me, like, probably 20 minutes to do a five-minute walk. Yeah. But she came to me, and she took Lily, and that saved me, like, precious minutes Yeah. that got me to the hospital, that at least they were born in a hospital where they could have had the best chance of survival, you know? So mm-hmm. we noticed that blessing, and when we told our parents, um, both sets of parents, my parents and Brett's parents, and his little sister Kelly immediately just got on a plane wow. and helped us out here. They, they helped us move into our new neighborhood. They watched the Lily for us. They made arrangements for hope. They just, like dropped everything in a time of greatest need and that's something that I will just forever be grateful for and like just thinking and noticing those little things or or like the friends and families at church that would sign up for meals to bring me a meal or to babysit Lily or something so I could see Claire at the hospital like 
those little miracles along the way, looking for those blessings and just choosing to focus on that was helpful. And also just reflecting on the meaning of Hope's name and Claire's name. Mm -hmm. And when we had decided to name her Hope, it was, you know, with that wishful thinking of hoping our family will be together again. But it wasn't until later that we learned that hope means a confident expectation of and longing for the blessings God promises. Mm. And that felt way more significant. Like we just learned so much about what hope means. Yeah. And it just lifts our hearts so much to understand the meaning of hope and how we're going to expect that in, in our life again someday that we'll have her. And it's not just a wish but that it will happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for Claire, one of the meanings of Claire is strength. And that is what she needed the most in the NICU. And yeah. it is definitely what she has. She's one of the most stubborn people I've ever met. <laughs> and there are some times that I'm like, I prayed for you to be full of strength. And I'm sure this is what, this stubbornness is what helped you survive in the NICU. But right now, I just need you to put that away. <laughs> Yes, yes. But I love it. Yeah. That's and then awesome. the other coping mechanism that helped me the most, I think, was just talking about it. Because mm-hmm. it just happened so fast. I found that I just had to talk through it a yeah. lot to yeah. understand it and process it. And I don't know. I, I never would, before this, be a person that would share something that was maybe embarrassing or you know hard for me. But... I just had to process it, and I had to tell anyone who would listen, including Brett. Like, Brett and I talked about it all the time, and we we also talk about it with Lily and Claire, and we tell them about Hope, and we we tell them, I don't know, all, the whole story. They know everything that's happened, Yeah. and we try to include Hope in our lives so they can be aware of her, that they know they have a sister in heaven, mm-hmm. and yeah, things like that. That's awesome. I love that you said that you felt like you needed to talk about it because I think so many times when something horrible happens, we just want to keep it to ourselves. And I think it's 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 safer. And I loved what you said about how you felt like if you let go of this pain, then you were letting go of hope because you kind of connected her with the two things. And so I think that's I guess how did you get to a point where you separated the pain from hope and you were still able to like have her as a big part of your life but not as like a way to hold on do you does that make sense it does make sense and it's it's taken me years to kind of sort that through my head and and find peace with it all Mm -hmm. and I think it's I think time was a big thing that helped is just having the time to reflect on it to Mm -hmm. go through these questions in my head to pray asking for answers to these questions and talking with it to everybody who would listen. <laughs> yeah. But eventually I just, I don't know, I think I, I think there was a moment when I just was having so much grief about it that I was just praying and opening my heart up and just asking for peace. And I felt like I, I got that peace. Yeah. And, and it's, it's not so much of, Now when I reflect on the story, I don't feel so much guilt. I feel sadness, and I will always feel sadness. And I will always wish for a different outcome. 
but I don't feel so much of the guilt of it anymore. Yeah. I, I know that she's where she needs to be, even though I wish she was with me. Yeah. I know that she's... Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and so it's been six, almost six years since this happened. Mm-hmm. And so how has yeah. this shaped you into who you are now? Um, I feel like it's given me a different perspective on life. Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like I don't take for granted my experience of having children. Mm-hmm. Whereas before it was kind of like, oh, everybody has kids. And yeah. everybody complains about their kids, and everyone talks about how hard it is to have kids. But now I I look at Claire and I think we almost didn't have this moment. Mm-hmm. This moment is precious, you know. We yeah. almost didn't get it, and so I just feel a lot more gratitude for like my day to day stuff because I get to have these two girls that they just they both feel like miracles, like gifts. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just feel like, I just feel really, really grateful. And there are times when I'm just like staring at them and they're doing something totally normal, just like reading a book. And I'm like, wow, look at them. Aww. They are so beautiful. And look at their their faces. And I made them and they're here. And I get to watch them grow. And I just have that, like these little moments. And I'm just like, I just feel so blessed and grateful. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's how it's shaped me. I feel more more gratitude for everyday annoyances. And I also feel more sensitive to others and their times of need. I know how it feels to be in pain of losing someone. Mm-hmm. So I feel more more aware of others and what they might be experiencing. Well, I, I can definitely testify to that because I, what I went through was not even close to what you went through with my twin pregnancy. Um, and I didn't, and I didn't even ever tell you about it. I didn't tell anyone about it, which I guess was, I'm going against what my advice earlier was, but I, (laughs) that's not true. I didn't tell anyone about it, but I just wasn't that open about it. I told a a couple like close friends that are like lived here and my parents obviously knew. Um, but I just, I remember when I finally wrote a blog post about my experience with, I was pregnant with twins and I saw them on an ultrasound like multiple times, probably a handful of times, just because I have high risk pregnancies, so I have more ultrasounds than the average person. And then everything was fine, kind of like what you said. And then at 12 weeks, another ultrasound, and there was just only one. And that's my daughter, Dorothy. Wow. And wow. I just, I thought I was over it, because to me, it's like, you know, it's it was painful in the moment, but then I accepted that I was only having one and blah, blah, blah. And then on her first birthday, which was a year over, I guess a year and a half ago now, I just had this overwhelming grief come over me of this, this like, there's supposed to be two of these. Like, why is there only yeah. one? And yeah. just this really weird wave of grief hit me that I wasn't expecting And I just, we never actually knew the genders, but in my mind, it was a boy and a girl. And so, like, there's just, like, this little boy that's, like, missing out of of my heart. Yeah. And you were so sweet, Mm -hmm. because that's that's when I decided that I wanted to blog about it and, like, put put it out there to the world. And you just, like, texted me, and you were just like, I feel you. And I I just, I almost felt ashamed that you texted me, because I'm like, well, what I went through was nothing compared to you, but... At the same time, no. it was just so sweet that you used your pain to, like, reach out to me and be like, I feel you. 
it's hard and I, I see you. So. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's hard. Any kind of loss that you experience is devastating. And it's interesting how you said like a year later is when you felt more of a devastation yeah. than initially. And I feel the same. Like it was devastating for me initially too, but I feel like at the beginning when everything was so hard, mm-hmm. it was just get through the days. And probably similarly to you, if you just had to get to get through the days until things were stable. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when Claire was two is when I really went through all of these grief emotions more because at that point she was more stable than ever before. Mm-hmm. And I had more time to think and process and grieve. And so, yeah, sometimes it hits you later for me, like like you said, my birthday, like milestones are really a time when I it get like it hits me again. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. when when Claire started preschool, it was a moment. <laughs> and the hardest thing though was when I would take her to school in the mornings. There were these identical twin girls, oh. and I like just the pain of seeing them. Like it like hurt my heart. Like I had to look away, and yeah. I was like, I can't believe I have to look away from these beautiful girls. But I it was this guy. My feeling same as that you said, like that should be my girls. Mm-hmm. That should be them, and it's not. And yeah. so, yeah, it, it hits you at different times, and it it will. You'll always feel that vacancy. Like I still feel that vacancy. I feel hope missing in my life, and and yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's always a piece of your heart is always going to be missing. Well, and I think as I've learned about grief over the years, just from different losses that I've had and that friends have had, it's just this idea that you have to just embrace that this is now part of you versus when is this going to go away? Because it's it's never going to go away. Yes. Yes. Um, And it's just kind of like, you know, you use it to support others. You use it to support yourself and you just kind of move forward. Um, And so Going off of kind of like what we talked about with how it shaped you into who you are, um, if you could also just touch on how does it affect you as your role as a mother and like how you mother, you kind of already talked about like the gratitude thing, but there are other, are there other ways um, that has it affected how you mother your girls? Yes, definitely. In the NICU, um, the doctors told us that we had a long road ahead of us. And so they recommended taking life one day at a time. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at everything you have to do, it's overwhelming with all of the things going on in your life. But one day at a time is more manageable. And and that was the best advice they could give me at that time because I could focus on that. I could say, today, Claire is fine. Today, Mm -hmm. she's being monitored. Today, her numbers are good. Today is a good day. And mm-hmm. it might be different the next day, but today is fine, you yeah. know? So one day at a time really affected the way I, I mother my girls now and just kind of take care of them now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also I also tell the girls how lucky they are to have each other. Mm-hmm. I, 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 my biggest hope as a mom is that my girls will have a good friendship together, mm-hmm. that they will, you know, be there for each other and mm-hmm. be good friends and want to be with each other. Mm-hmm. And so I pointed out to them, I, I, I tell Claire how lucky she is to have Lily as an older sister because Lily has like the kindest, sweetest heart and she's just full of love for everyone. Mm-hmm. 
and and then I tell Lily how lucky she is to have Claire because Claire almost didn't survive and mm-hmm. and I love to see how much fun they have together. So I point that out to them and it was funny earlier this week Lily finished her homework before Claire did. And so I said, Lily, why don't you just go play in your room and I'll focus with Claire, we'll get work done and then you guys can play together. And in the other room I heard Lily singing, I'm so bored without my sister. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was that's like, so God, sweet. I want you to be grateful for your sister. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's so sweet. Um, I know, so I'm glad for that. And so just really quick, what was the journey like with Claire? So we've touched on Hope. What was it like with Claire, like from her birth till, I guess, now? Like, what has that looked like for you, health-wise and all of so, that? Yeah, it's been, it's been... We've uh, just a very blessed journey. She, mm-hmm. you know, started out very small, one pound seven ounces. She was in the NICU for 110 days. Oh my gosh! She was, I know it was a long time. She was due October 26th. Mm-hmm. She was born July 10th, and so she was in there a long time. And um, she had to have heart surgery when she was two pounds. Uh, her eyes were oh shut when she was born, and they, she had just started opening her eyes at at this. Like, I think she was like four weeks old, and she was two pounds, and she had to go to Cornell to have heart surgery to close the PDA hole. Mm. And so that was a very stressful time. And but like she kept growing in the NICU, and she moved from the ventilator to a CPAP, which was a different breathing machine, and then. She moved from the CPAP to the high-flow nasal cannula, and that happened around my birthday, and I remember being so, like, proud of her, like, thank you for this birthday gift, because with a high-flow nasal cannula, she's very mobile, like, I could pick her up and hold her like a baby, and it, it wasn't requiring all of the nurses to come over and help me get her out of the, the incubator, so that was a really good moment, mm-hmm. and then... Right before she was discharged from the hospital, she had eye surgery, for ROP eye surgery, because preemie babies, and they've been on oxygen for a long time, which Claire was, they sometimes need to have ROP surgery because mm-hmm. their retinas will start to grow towards each other and it could cause blindness. Oh, so wow. just to be safe, they did the ROP surgery, and that was right before. So she was discharged on October 28th, which for a 24-weeker is incredible. Oh, really? Usually, yeah, usually babies born that early are in the NICU. They say if you can make it to your due date, I mean, that's great, but it's usually like a month after, at least two weeks after. Okay. Yeah, so we didn't think we'd get to have her home until November, maybe Christmas, you know, we'll we'll see how it goes one day at a time. Mm -hmm. But Claire came home October 28th, and she weighed seven pounds, one ounce. She oh came home like gosh. a real baby. I'm oh so proud of her. Gosh. So, um, for milestones for newborns like that, especially NICU babies, you have to adjust back to the age of of their due date. So, when I brought Claire home, she was four months old, but she was a newborn for all milestones and feeding and everything. Mm-hmm. And they said to adjust that age back for like the first four years for something really so yeah so even so she she somehow miraculously tested out of speech therapy and occupational therapy but she did need physical therapy 
so she had that for a few years until she went to preschool. Then she tested out of it in preschool too. Okay. So she's been doing really well. Consider all things considered, the only lasting thing that she's had is a little bit of asthma. Okay. So. And is that yeah. going to be a lifetime thing, or is it still? They said too... she could grow out of it. The reason for it is because her lungs are damaged from being on the ventilator for so long. Okay. That um. They said it, it will heal, but it will just take a really long time. Okay. So, yeah, and as of them to my family, my brother has asthma, my sister had asthma, my mom has a little bit of asthma, so okay. it does run in the family, but gotcha. there's a chance she'll grow out of it as her lungs heal. Okay. So at what point with Claire did you feel like you could, like, breathe? Does that mean, like, was there ever a point yeah. where it was kind of like, okay, like, she is fine, like, it's really going to be fine? I think it was when she was two, two and three. Mm -hmm. At that point, she was talking, she was running, she was doing everything a two and three-year-old should do. Mm -hmm. And that's even, like, not adjusting back, like, at her actual birth age. Mm -hmm. She was doing everything. And so I think that's why when I could finally be like, okay, she's stable. We don't need to go to the emergency room as often anymore. And that's when I could finally start processing what had happened. But... Yeah, mm-hmm. I think probably around two or three, and when by the time she was four for preschool, she was ready. She was excited and ready to go and fully mm-hmm. capable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. So, I guess can you speak to this idea of like you had this plan where you were going to have identical, healthy, normal baby girls slash older girls once they grew. And so how did you get to a point where you could embrace the new normal for you? Um, I think, I don't know. I feel like even though this is my new normal, I still wish for a different yeah. story. <laughs> no, you're so. fine. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that I just I just recognize that Claire's a miracle, and I feel like she's a gift. Mm-hmm. And so I just am waiting until our family can be together again. And mm-hmm. that is really hard for me because, like, even even family pictures that we take, one's always missing, mm-hmm. and will always be missing. You know. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a balance. It's a back and forth. It's I don't know. Yeah. And. Like, we, we talk about, should we have another baby and things to, to try to, I don't know, maybe fill that, that gap that we feel, but, but I don't know if what I'm wishing for is, is another baby, or if what I'm wishing for is to have the chance to have hope, you know? Yeah, So, yeah. I don't know if I'm wishing for the right thing there, if it's having a baby would fulfill that, mm-hmm. or not. Yeah. I didn't realize how much time I would spend thinking, like, do I need to have another baby? Am I done? Like, <laughs> I know. I <laughs> no one told me that would be such a big topic. Years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh, no one warned me that this would be like what my mind always comes back to for a lot of the time. I know. Oh my gosh. All of the time. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, okay. So as we're wrapping up, just what are your final thoughts on just, um, the grieving process and like, I guess advice for others that might be going through maybe not the exact same situation, but just this grieving process. 
Yeah, I think anyone who's going through a grieving process should allow themselves to feel all the feelings and accept them. And just notice them and tell yourself that it's okay. It's okay to cry. It's okay to feel intense grief. It's okay to to know that even if you do believe that your family will be together, it's okay to feel the pain of it now that you don't have it right now. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's a I think that's healthy to acknowledge those feelings, to recognize them, and to talk about it with someone that you love and trust. Mm-hmm. And and share that that pain. I feel like that's that's what helped me the most. Yeah. Talking about it and acknowledging it and 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 not being afraid to show like my children that I'm going through a hard time. You know, I think it's important for them to see us going through hard times and finding the strength to keep going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what does that look like if you're having a hard day, let's say, like, recently? What does that look like with you sharing that with your kids? Well, I'll just tell them a little bit about what I'm feeling. And and sometimes I'll share other stories of other family members and, and you know, teach them that your life is going to have times where you're going to feel like it's too hard, that it's overwhelming like I'm feeling right now, you know, and I'll bring it back to that. But then I just try to encourage them that even when you do have hard times, you have family, you have each other, you have people that love you and can talk with you. And, and love is the most important thing, love and acceptance. And so I just will share that with them and and tell them, you know, I'm having a hard time right now because I really miss Hope and I wish that she was here, but she's not here. But I can... I can pray and I can ask God to send her as a guardian angel to be close to us and mm-hmm. and I can believe that I'm going to have her again someday. So I'll, I'll kind of just go through those those thoughts with them mm-hmm. and I try to end it on a positive note and say, yes, I'm feeling these emotions, but I do know that I'm grateful for my life right now, that I get to have you, that you survive, that Lily is here as your big sister and you're so lucky to have each other and, you know, just kind of go like that. Yeah, that's awesome. I definitely agree with sharing stuff like that with your kids in a whatever level they're at way. Right, Um, exactly. So, well, I just want to thank you for being willing to talk about such a raw story, even though it's been almost six years. It's like we've already said multiple times, it's, it's hard. And it's yeah. going to continue to be hard. So I, I know, even though I know you, you're very open about it, it still takes bravery to like talk about it again. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate our friendship. I always have. So I always will. Thank you. Um, me too. Thank you. Me too. Um, I guess we will wrap it up. If you enjoyed this episode or other episodes, I would just encourage you to share on social media or with your friends and family. The best way you can support me, as always, is to go on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave me a review. I always love hearing from my listeners. You can follow me on Instagram at SheBuildsMeUp, and you can always email me directly through the link in my bio. 